Hello, and welcome to The Reader Podcast. My name is Frances, and I work for The Reader, which is a national charity, bringing thousands of people together every week, all over the UK, in order to experience and enjoy great literature together through shared reading. Back in episode two of this podcast, we took a deep dive into a particular poem which, over the years, has proved to be great literature for shared reading, which means it's not just moving, but nourishingly resonant with meaning and potential connections for the people in the reading group. We'll devote this episode to another such poem, which over the years has been read in shared reading groups with parents, with people with dementia, in care homes and in prisons. It is the poem Walking Away by Cecil Day-Lewis. We'll listen now to a shared reading group getting to grips with this poem. It's a recording made a few years ago of a group of reader staff members at our headquarters in Liverpool. So Walking Away is what we're going to be reading today. Um, I'll read it first, if that's okay with everybody. Please help yourself to the rather superior refreshments that we've been provided with. Okay. Walking away for Sean. It is 18 years ago, almost to the day. A sunny day with the leaves just turning. The touch lines, new rule. Since I watched you play your first game of football, then, like a satellite wrenched from its orbit, go drifting away behind a scatter of boys. I can see you walking away from me towards the school with the pathos of a half-fledged thing set free into a wilderness. The gate of one who finds no path where the path should be. The hesitant figure eddying away like a winged seed loosened from its parent stem has something I never quite grasp to convey about nature's give and take. The small, the scorching ordeals which fire one's irresolute clay. I've had worse partings, but none that so gnaws at my mind still. Perhaps it is roughly saying what God alone could perfectly show. How selfhood begins with a walking away and love is proved in the letting go. Hmm. Um, I was aware of a deep concentration whilst I was reading that. <laughs> um, 
I don't know whether there's any first thoughts or feelings. The hesitant figure, who do we feel <coughs> that is? I think that's the one that's got to walk away. That's kind of my... That could be, yep. the, that could be the little bird that couldn't... Yeah, so whatever it is, that's the the boy going to school, Mm. or the bird coming out of the nest. Mm. Yeah, the pet. Yeah, the winged seed loosened from its parent stem. Yeah, so that feels helpful to have those different descriptions of it. Mm. Um, Interesting, the word parents in there. Mm. Mm. Why? We've been sort of. um, I think we've all kind of seems to have come to the consensus that we're talking about a parent mm. a parent or a carer watching mm. watching mm. their kid presumably go go away to school mm. and it's just it's just interesting that, the, that that particular word is used mm. obviously in relation to a plant but yeah then we get that big word nature mm. and they all do seem to be coming from that andrew mm. i'm sensing a, a thought there <laughs> um, <laughs> maybe i think it's kind of hinting at this sort of cyclical nature of things mm. so the winged seed is loosened from its parent stem mm. and then as time passes the winged seed becomes the parent stem and this process begins again mm. cyclical made me think of orbits and mm. those movements yes so. I, I love that 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 feels really helpful to have that mm. cyclical thing and so nature's give and take you know it gives you a child but then the, for the child to get its own child it has to go away so you mm. know one thing is given and then it's taken away from you but then that has its own child given to it but then the child is taken mm-hmm. away and then it's given so to it's it. the process all over. yeah yeah, yeah. So and there's the a giving cycle. and a taking away in every ongoing. single revolution mm. of that yeah, cycle yeah. yeah it feels like the give and take it's like loss is like the gravity from which everything is orbiting around <laughs> Sorry, oh. <laughs> Give us that one again. Andrew. Wow. Okay. <laughs> because the child's being taken away, and that's triggering all these emotions. Mm. And then if you, if we go back to what I was saying before about the child becoming the parent, mm. um, th- th- that same scenario is going to happen again. Mm. So it's always this element of loss that's okay. keeping things sort of turning, I suppose. Yeah. It's very, very, very similar to what you were just saying, I think, isn't mm-hmm. yeah. um, I feel like we need a bigger room to hold these things in, <laughs> actually. Um, if, if we've got that uh, loss um, and gaining thing going on, um, th- that idea of... That line just before has something... I never quite grasp to convey. Um, I feel as though we're, like I'm certainly struggling to convey what we're thinking, but um, I love the way you both read it because there was that pause, but then it says, perhaps it Mm. is roughly saying, and I'm just wondering what's going on in that what's being thought in that pause to go from you know none that knows in my mind self and then perhaps you know we've had quite and we've had all this perhaps it is roughly 
saying what God alone could perfectly show. I really, I don't get this bit, how selfhood begins with a walking away. So any thoughts on the gap there? Because it feels like it's a massive, I'm a big gap here, something's going on, you know, but what? I'm really hoping somebody can help with this. I don't know why I'm looking at you, Claire, but you're nodding, hopefully, you know. <laughs> um, I just, I wonder if it's through the, sec the, the, the conflict between, as a human being, you've got to go through these, like, laws, if you like, laws of nature. Yeah. And, but it gets messy because we question them and we, but the idea about God alone, I was interested in the, the contrast between the roughly saying, so you're trying mm. to work out yeah. with the God alone could perfectly show. Mm. So that makes you think about the, you know, the idea about the, the, I know, um, the seed mm. from the, like a dandelion, then it, you get the seeds drifting away. Mm. If you look around you in nature, all through nature, we see, we see, this this law if you like so inside with our feelings and thoughts it can be very hard to try and make sense of it and to understand it mm. but if we look around us in life um it's we everywhere. see it everywhere yeah. yeah yeah and that's the heartache as well yeah and there's a comfort in that to me like thinking of yeah george said about yeah. the, the comfort do do elaborate well yeah thinking of you know thinking of my mum and feeling guilty about how sad she must have felt when i went away to university it's like actually this is a natural part of life and this is how it should be and mm. you know it happens to everything and everyone it's not mm. this isolated incident mm. and your mum will have got pleasure out of you going to university yeah of course yeah so she, she's it, really it's not proud. just a one-way street no yeah but the idea that it's this universal thing in life is... Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because yeah. that's the same thought that people often have to sort of um, console themselves about death as well, isn't it? That, yeah. That, that death, is, death is part of life. Mm. It's, a, it's yeah. the same idea. Yeah. Aligning us with nature as well is a comfort. Yeah. It doesn't just happen to all humans, it happens to all Things, life. Yeah. yeah, so all mm. plants have these separations and they all mm. die like yeah. this one. Mm. I'm trying to get to this idea of the clay, to fire one's irresolute clay. Mm. Makes it strong, makes it resolute. Mm. Yeah. It shape that it's yeah. supposed to have. It's the shaping that shape I got. shape of what? Go on, sorry, Kat. Well, it's the scorching. That was really trees. helpful, thanks. Go on. Yeah, it made me think of the, um, when you're saying it leaves a mark on something that can't be burnt underneath. It's part of this process of firing, isn't it? It's <coughs> those little ordeals are the things that are sort of hammering your clay into shape from a very young age so it could be the tiniest little thing that happens to you when you're a child but that will give you a behavior that you'll keep all your life or it'll give you a feeling that you'll keep your whole life and you know it's like how your relationship with your parents sort of affect the relationships you make through the rest of your life it's these tiny little interactions isn't it you're sort of reassuring about the way you used fire then as well like yeah. the, the fire because it's, it's part of the process like the clay is it is not it's it's not the thing that it's supposed to be until this part of the process happens, this like vital, inevitable part of becoming what it's meant to be. Mm. Be alright if we just stick with this verse because we've got this ending which is the small, the scorching ordeals which fire one's irresolute clay. Mm. Um, 
that's what do we make of that well this is I, I think actually this this kind of well the whole of the third stand really opens up almost, and I think links into what you're saying about the never quite grasped to convey because I think it makes me think not just about the big part of um, you know parent child relationships but just more and just more generally about partings really and it makes me feel that there are many times in life mm. not just as a parent to a child or a child to a parent but just there are many times in life where you might have to go through an ordeal like mm. this mm. which is maybe why it's the hesitant figure has something i never quite grasped to convey because it doesn't just belong to the hesitant figure mm. it's got something that is just that happens in life more broadly mm -hmm. these experiences feels like it holds in it that loss idea that that, that Andy yeah was was talking about did, did you have something an example in mind particularly um <coughs> i just think Claire, or, or indeed anyone if, if that feels yeah i think it's I, that's true i think it does i think it's a constant in life really um, and you can't, I remember when uh, my nan, years ago, her flat went on fire. So she had to come and stay at mum's. Mm. And she stayed for about a week and the flat got sorted out so she could go back to the flat. Mm. And I remember um, she'd got up in the morning really early before anyone had got up out of bed, but I was up out of bed. And she said, I've got, I've got to go now. Mm. And I remember, she, I said, oh, nan, and she was getting upset. She said, no, I've got, she was getting upset. And she was like, no, I've got to go. And I was like, she want, and then so she kind of, I remember standing at the door and she didn't want me to follow her, but I remember watching her walk away and just thinking, this is horrible. Why, why do these partners have to happen? And I was going to see her again next week, but just, but that is, I guess, an example where that is something different. That's like Nan, you know, fully grown up. She's not a child, but she's mm. walking, she's having to walk away. And I was at the door watching her and just thinking, this feels cruel, you know, but what can you do? Here's the reader leader, Amanda, reflecting afterwards on what was happening in that group and how exhilarated she felt as the group shared the work of drawing out meaning from the poem. I think it's um, about primarily making those flat words on the page kind of come alive in, in the room. In, in, the, in the present moment and, and making connections with each other, but, but also each other as in the kind of thinking that seems to be almost like happening through, through the poem. There's also something about the cyclical nature of it and the fact that the poem uses nature almost as its structure so and, and I think we need to be alert to that so I would certainly see it as my job my job <laughs> sounds a bit onerous but <laughs> to to encourage people to think about how that little world of the poem if, if you see what I mean is then he's quite demonstrably making that a bigger thing I was really excited, I, you know, in, in the sense of when he start, when Andrew started off by 
by talking, it it felt like I could. It felt like quite a formed thought that he was coming out with. It feels like the give and take. It's like loss is like the gravity from which everything is orbiting around. You know that he'd really been thinking about it while other people were were talking. Didn't feel tentative particularly. But then I love that bit. It's what I love was it. I wasn't expecting that thing about loss being the gravity. I think maybe he said, and I just thought that that was fantastic because it really helped coalesce other people's thinking, but but kind of moved us on. But it didn't feel like he was being clever. You know, it felt a really sincere thing that he'd been thinking about. I don't know, it felt like there was a bit of electricity going on there, you know, and I did feel, wow, that's so brilliant, you know, to be able to think about it, express it in that way. I could see other people were, oh, yeah, you know, that's that's really helpful. And then it was a little surge and other people kind of joined in on that bit. They are happy to be thinking in a, in a tentative way uncertain way but not in a wishy-washy kind of way but really building on each other's thoughts but the reason I say it wasn't wishy-washy was because people were using specific personal examples to help with that thinking as well but they were very much using the language or referring to the poem to to help them do that you know so it was like taking the poem on a stage further. So it feels like that, what was being discussed in the room, uh, that exploring the uncertainty, then was reflecting or kind of echoing what was going on in the poem. And as Claire was saying that, I didn't feel, it felt like she was back there with her nan and she was feeling it all over again. I think it felt special because it felt like all the kind of clever thinking, if, if, if you will, you know, very serious and, and hesitant and uncertain, but we, you know, operating at quite a high level. It, it just seemed to come down and, and be held in that moment. I remember watching her walk away and just thinking, this is horrible, why, why do these partners have to happen? It just operates within a sort of cerebral level. Even if you're using the language of emotions, it still needs to be anchored in the human stuff, doesn't it? Really, ultimately, what we might remember and what really communicated was that human example. And now, here's another reader staff member, Fiona, reflecting on what happened in one particular group to which she brought Walking Away. First, here's Fiona reading the poem again. Hello, my name's Fiona. I work for the reader. And I'd like to share a poem with you called Walking Away by Cecil Day-Lewis. Walking Away for Sean. It is 18 years ago, almost to the day, 
A sunny day with leaves just turning. The touch lines new ruled. Since I watched you play your first game of football. Then, like a satellite wrenched from its orbit, go drifting away behind a scatter of boys. I can see you walking away from me towards the school with the pathos of a half-fledged thing set free into a wilderness, the gait of one who finds no path where the path should be. That hesitant figure eddying away like a winged seed loosened from its parent stem has something I never quite grasp to convey about nature's give and take. The small, the scorching ordeals which fire one's irresolute clay. I have had worse partings, but none that so gnaws at my mind still. Perhaps it is roughly saying what God alone could perfectly show. How selfhood begins with a walking away, and love is proved in the letting go. I can't exactly remember when I first read it, but I can remember when I first used it in a group, and that was about four years ago at a group that I used to run in a library, and it was a group for people living with dementia and their carers. There's a, there's a quote that I was reading recently um, by Allen Ginsberg, and he said, Poetry is not an expression of the party line. It's that time of night, lying in bed, thinking what you really think, making the private world public. That's what the poet does. I read that quote and it reminded me of this time that I read this particular poem walking away in this group. Something happened and it really reminded me of, of that idea of a, somebody's private world becoming public in that way in, in the group and what that was like felt really important. As we always do in, in shared reading, the, the poem had been read a few times and we'd all been discussing it and lots of really amazing stuff was coming out about people's memories and having children, childhood, growing up, letting go. It was sort of really, it was very cheerful, it was very positive and everyone was saying, oh, you know, you've got to let them go, haven't you? And that's what happens when you grow up. and Which is all good, but I suppose sort of me being me, I think I said something like, yes, you do have to let them go, but, you know, that's really hard, isn't it? Isn't it? And we were looking at the last two lines, in particular the, the, the lines that say, how selfhood begins with a walking away, and love is proved in the letting go. And when I said, that's really hard, isn't it, to do that, suddenly this group member, Marie, addressed the group. Marie attended with her husband, Mick, who was living with dementia, and um, she said, oh, I'd like, I'd like to share something with the group, but I don't want to upset anyone because it is quite upsetting. And we, I think we all said, no, you know, please go ahead. 
and she shared the story of her daughter who had left home at about age 19, I think, and gone to live in Rome. And shortly after she went to live in Rome, she'd taken her own life. And Marie was looking at the poem and looking at those last two lines and saying, you know, this, this thing about letting them go, actually I had a premonition that something bad was going to happen and I didn't want her to go, but I felt I couldn't stop her going. How could I do that? You know, you can't do that. So I didn't stop her going and then obviously what happened, happened. So it was a really powerful moment that had come out of reading those words and recognising those feelings. Mick, as Marie was speaking, didn't say anything, and he didn't really say anything most weeks at that stage, um, but he did, his eyes were full of tears as she was speaking. After she'd finished speaking, we all thanked her, really, for sharing it with us. And she thanked us for making the space for her to do that. It was a really very powerful and unexpected moment. I don't think we had been expecting that. Well, we obviously hadn't been expecting that as a group, and I don't think... Marie had been expecting to share that, that day, but it was just one of those moments that you get in shared reading from time to time where you feel that this space has opened up where, whereby the poem and, and the people and the feeling all kind of come together in a really sort of important, special way, I suppose. I think moments like that, they feel very intimate and important and they do create, I think, bonds between the people in the group. Um, it's almost like there's an awareness in everyone that something special and important has, has, has happened. It feels like a happening rather than just somebody saying something, if that makes sense. After the group finished you know when the, when the time was up for the group I did obviously you know check in with Marie and her husband to make sure they were okay but we did stay in touch via email um, afterwards and I did ask her about what that moment and that experience had been like for her in the group and she was kind enough to send me a reply um, just telling me a bit more about about it, so I'd like to share that with you. Uh, and I have asked Marie um, if that's okay, and she's she's very happy for people to hear of it. Um, so here's what she said. There is a value in sharing feelings. I've volunteered as a Samaritan for years, so I really know that to be true. Mick and I both think it's beneficial not to bottle up emotions. Nicola died 35 years ago now. It's become a large part of who we are. We welcome times to remember our talented daughter, 
even those which may hit us like a tsunami. Poetry seems to reach parts of the brain which are sometimes closed and unreachable, doesn't it? I suppose we are lucky in that we have been able to absorb that devastating experience to move on with life. Nothing can hurt us more, even the situation we now find ourselves in. The moment itself in the group when I felt able to talk about Nicola was, as always, a recognition of our ability to cope with anything and of our togetherness. Whenever anyone does that thing that, that, you know, going back to the Ginsburg quote about, you know, making that their private world public in that way, it always feels really, you know, a bit well, like an honour. And it, it can be hard to know what to do with it. And, and I'm just massively fascinated about when and why people choose to share things like that with other people. You know, I recognise times where I've done it in a shared reading group and it's, and it's taken me by surprise, even though I'm the one doing it. Like it's coming from some other place that I must say this. I must share that um, and it just felt like one of those moments and it was really really powerful and I think everyone who was there that day recognised how powerful it was and, and honoured it in some way. As I was recording this in my office in my house my 15 year old daughter was walking past and heard me and um, just popped her head in to, to see what I was up to. And we ended up reading the poem together, the two of us, and um, had a couple of thoughts about it, so I'll finish with those. I wonder if you started the walking away. And I've got to prove my love by the letting go. Well, he's 18, isn't he? Which think that's time enough? Mm, no. I don't know. <laughs> I don't think there's a certain time. It just depends on you. I won't properly walk away. Ever. I won't properly let go. Ever. <laughs> <laughs> That's good then. We often talk about the reading part of shared reading. The literature. But what Fiona and her daughter and Marie brought out is the vital component that is the sharing, the shared experience, the shared space offered by the literature in which we can sift through complicated thoughts and feelings that are usually buried too deep for words or tears. And that's it for this episode of The Reader Podcast. Many thanks to PFD and the estate of Cecil Day-Lewis for allowing us to read Walking Away. That poem was first published in 1962 in a collection called The Gate, but you'll more easily find it now in the excellent anthology Being Alive, which is published by Blood Axe Books and is one of the anthologies on our Reader Bookshelf for this year. You can find out more about the Reader Bookshelf and the other titles on it by visiting our website.
Many thanks to all the reader staff members you heard in this episode, particularly Amanda and Fiona, and thanks to Marie for sharing her thoughts and experiences with us. As always, many thanks to the eternally patient Chris Lynn for his sound editing and production support. The reader relies on the support of our core funders, Arts Council England, the National Lottery Community Fund, the Players of the People's Postcode Lottery and the Steve Morgan Foundation. We'll be back soon for more conversation, recommendations and shared reading. If you've enjoyed this podcast, and you must have enjoyed it a little if you're still listening now, please visit the Reader's website to find the various ways you can support our work through donation, by subscribing to the Reader magazine, or simply by reviewing this podcast and helping us to spread the word. Thanks for listening. Until next time, goodbye.